At last, I can take that off, which means I can put these on without fogging up. Now I can see you. Tyler, what an introduction. I don't know if I can live up to that, but thank you for the challenge and the opportunity. So good morning, friends. Good morning, church, neighbors. I would like to think of you all as friends I just haven't met yet. Some of the names I know, some of the faces are familiar. Barry, we go way back, we do. Um, Decades, shall we put it? We can put it in those terms, even decades. And some of the others as well. We've known each other a long time. I served as pastor. I had the privilege of coming to Milton in 1988, and I served there for 32 years. I retired, at least officially, not from ministry, but as pastor of the church. Ministry goes on. But I retired from the United Church of Milton in January, had about three months of rest, and, well, having had a conversation with a pastor of another church saying, I could sure use some help. As it turns out, unexpectedly, I was offered a part-time position with Church of the Rock. So, as I said, ministry continues. The old joke is, you know, old pastors, they never really go out to pasture. So <laughs> the job and the work continue, but you know that. It's a lifetime of joy that we share together. So I don't know that I've ever been in this pulpit. Maybe I did a wedding here once or twice over the years. I'm not sure, but this may be the first time, Tyler. It's taken me 32 years to get here. Thank you. Well, I have had the privilege of knowing Tyler for, I guess it is about four years now, and one of the things that we do, we come together, um, we, we do now t- uh, twice, um, twice a month, we do. Originally, when we were first gathering, we were praying together once a month, but during COVID, we came together more frequently to support and encourage one another. The pastors did. It was awfully difficult to be with others. So we've been praying together, and that's how I first came to know Tyler in, in ministry, and as a as a friend and as a colleague, but to listen to him pray is to hear somebody pray authentically and from the heart. And he's articulate and thoughtful, compassionate, and I have just loved the time we've had to spend together. We've gone hiking together, but I have the feeling that in years to come, Tyler's going to outpace me pretty easily. But we've had a few hikes together, which gives you a chance to get to one another. the opportunity to know one another in a little bit different way, less formal. So thank you that we've grown in friendship. I appreciate that and look forward to many more years together, Tyler, and years of fruitful ministry for you. So let's pray as we dig in. Lord, open thou the eyes of our hearts as we gather before you. We are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. We are yours, first, foremost, and finally, We pray that at the end of the day, we will love you more than we do now. We open our eyes and pray that you would illuminate them from the inside out, that we might see what you see, that we might have more of what you would reveal to us. We pray that you would break open the word in a brand new way, that we would see something that we didn't know and couldn't know, except that you disclose it to us and speak to our hearts. So Lord, open the word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and all of our meditations be pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. So let me start with a story. 
Years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a friend. We were neighbors, lived a couple of houses away. They had a nice barn. So we had the great idea that uh, for Thanksgiving, we would raise turkeys. I don't know if you've ever done that. Truly, I can say, and I'm sorry for the pun, it was a foul experience. <laughs> you knew that was coming. But what an experience it was. We had an agreement. We didn't have to shake hands like, why don't we raise turkeys and see how that goes? What could possibly go wrong? Well, uh, the summer um, began to move on. And as we came toward autumn, we realized that neither one of us really was looking much forward to the slaughter. If you've ever been part of one of those, I have a couple times over. And it's really not too much fun. I think each of us was hoping that the other would do the dastardly deed when the time came. And uh, it uh, wasn't something that either one of us really wanted to do. So we put it off and put it off until finally we were into the very end of October and we just had to do it. We had started with just a half dozen turkeys. Four of the birds made it this far. One was simply too heavy. It was too fat and broke a leg. And so it had to be dispatched. As I said, we waited long and deep into the autumn to do this because we weren't eager. When we, had, when we got to the four birds that were left, um, let's just say they were weighing in excess of 40 pounds apiece. So they dressed out pretty heavy too, not quite pushing 40 pounds, but in the upper 30s. I mean, they were immense. So all I can say is it was, forgive me, a bloody mess. In every sense of the word. How many of you have ever slaughtered birds before, whether it's chick? Yes, well, you know. But when you get a bird that big, uh, the problems are multiplied. And, uh, well, you try to get enough hot water to get the feathers to come off, but we were using pliers to pull the pin feathers out. Anyway, by the time you're finished, you're covered with muck and gore, and we'll just leave it there. An unpleasant experience. And, you know, for all of that, I would just as soon go out now The difference in taste wasn't so great that I wouldn't rather go to the store and buy a Wampler turkey or a Butterball. I commend that to you. It's a lot easier and a lot less painful. But it was a bloody mess. Well, if you can understand that, then perhaps that will help us as we take a look at the story that we're going to share today. And it really is about covenant. And I understand that in your church, you've been talking about covenant and what it means to be a member what it means to be a participant in the life of Christ and the body of Christ, to be in membership with other people, sisters and brothers who are sons of the living God, our Father. And so I wanted to start with that story, but as I do so, I'd like to set set the scene for you a little bit. Perhaps that will help us understand when we actually read from the scripture in a moment. And then I want to take you through it And my tendency is to kind of take it and to explicate the scriptures verse by verse. And then I want to make some comments at the end to wrap it all up. So this is what was going on. This was a covenant that Abram was about to make with God. And as it happens, some years before, when Abram was 75 years old, this was before the name change, before they had made a covenant and the name was changed to Abraham or Father Abraham, whom we know as the father of faith. But Abram was a man of faith. When he was 75 years old, the Lord came to him and said, I want you to leave your father, your relatives, and to leave your country and go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham up and went. 
He took his wife, Sarah. He took, he took um, Lot, his nephew, and off they went, leaving behind everything that they had known, their support system, wherever the Lord would direct their way. And so off they went, and quite a journey it was. Well, some years into the process, um, he became wealthy, did Abram, and so did his nephew Lot. But there was a little bit of contention between their servants and the shepherds. They had two flocks, and they mingled, but sometimes uh, there were moments of friction between the two. And so in the interest of keeping things in a good uh, relationship, Abram and Lot decided to go their separate ways. And Abram, being gracious as he was, said, you pick what you want, Lot, and I'll take whatever is left. And so Lot chose the lower country, the valley, which was more settled and looked more appealing, lush and green, and left Abram the higher places and maybe not quite as fertile or as appealing. And so if you know where Lot settled, he settled in the city of Sodom. And later on, this was before some of those later events occurred, but the city of Sodom was invaded and the people who were there were captured and carried away. And having learned of this, Abram rallied the troops and all the men that he could find And with the blessing of God, they went and recovered the people and all the possessions that had been taken. And the king of Sodom was very grateful to Abram and said, I just want the people. I want my people back. You can have all the spoil, all the treasure, the possessions. But Abram was a different kind of man. And so he refused the offer saying, no, I will not have it be said that you made me wealthy or that you enriched me at your expense. So he refused to take anything, and he left it with the king of Sodom. And so it's after these things that our story picks up. I need to remind you of one more thing. Abram was told by God, was given a great promise, and this was what got him to go. God had promised him that he would be great, and he would make of him a great nation, and that through Abraham, Abram, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And indeed, we have been. Anybody who has faith has been blessed because of Abram's accomplishments. So we take up the story at verse 1 in chapter 15 of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Have you ever had a vision? We'll come back to that, but just think about that. After these things, the things that I've walked through on a on some uh, superficial basis, but at least I wanted you to have some understanding what was taking place. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, what's that like? Well, have you ever seen something? I mean, here we are. I'm reading the words on the page, and if you're looking at the screen, you're seeing the words as well. But at the same time, in the theater of our imagination, we're probably seeing certain things. There's a scene playing out. You're probably picturing something based on the words that we read or hear. So the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. How do you see what you hear? Well, perhaps the way, that's the way it works. I'll say more later. And then the Lord began to speak. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Think about those words. I am your shield. But I love the way that God starts off. He catches up with Abram. And it, there, there must be some uncertainty about the future. We're about to discover what that is that troubles Abram because the, the, the reality is he's having a crisis of faith. He's having a moment. And there's some uncertainty about what the future holds. And God knows it. 
He anticipates what's happening with Abram. So he overtakes him. He comes to him. Even if Abram doesn't know precisely where to find God, God knows just where to locate Abram. And he comes at just the right moment. And he knows what's going on. And I love the way he assuages his anxiety and speaks to him. He says, do not be afraid. Now, in January, if somebody tells you not to be cold, do not be cold, what would you say? Yeah, right. Sure. But that's what God says to Abram. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Powerful words from God. God knows us, your need and mine, and certainly he knows and has great insight into what Abram needs. And he wants to speak and address him in a very personal way. Abram, do not be afraid. All I can tell you is that that is the word of God biblically, over and over and over again. Fear not, don't be afraid. You hear the words of the risen Jesus to his disciples, peace be with you, don't be afraid, it is I. You hear the word to the shepherds out in the field at the birth announcement, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people, but it opens with those words, fear not. What were the first words of the angel to Mary when she was told that she would conceive and bear a child, the Holy One of God? Fear not. Don't be afraid. There's something about being human that would suggest that that's who we are. We are fearful people, anxious people, and afraid. We tremble because we don't know what the future holds. How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? How many of you have a doctor appointment? Don't tell me this. But we don't know what can happen. Some of us, I'm 66 years old tomorrow. No, that's not right. But soon, I am 66 now, excuse me. So you don't know how many more birthdays you're going to get. Things are moving on. And that's the way it is with Abram as he begins to age. And I'm not the only one as I look around. Some of you have white hair, gray hair, no hair. So we understand But into the midst of our circumstances, here comes that astonishing word of God. Do not be afraid. Tyler, don't be afraid. Ellen, do not be afraid. Fear not. I am your shield. Who could want for anything more than that? Truly, who could want for more than that? I am your shield. Listen to what God does not say. He does not say to Abram, I'm going to give you a shield when you go out. Nice work, by the way, Abram, in the battle. You redeemed your son. You brought back your nephew, Lot. You saved him. You rescued all those people. You returned them to the king of Sodom. You brought them back. Good for you. But what God says to Abram, he says, I am your shield. Not I will give you a shield, but I am. Think about that. This isn't for one use, one time only. This is a permanent offer. I am your shield. It's about the relationship that God is forging with Abram. I am your shield. There are no qualifications here. He doesn't say on Sunday through Thursday, nine to five. It's not like that. He simply says, I am your shield, which is as good as saying, I am with you always. I am yours, your shield, Abram and you will have a very great reward. I don't think Abram's looking for reward. Reward? What reward? Well, not just a reward, but a great reward, even a very great reward. What I want to say about that is that this isn't quid pro quo. It's not an exchange. It's not a reward or compensation for something that Abram has done. God is simply saying, your reward 
is going to be very great. There's a payoff coming. Don't be discouraged. Something great is happening. It's going to happen. It's coming your way, Abram, because you have come with me and trusted me. That's the inference that God makes. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram, don't you love it? But Abram, there's that little three-letter word that sneaks in. But Abram, so, you know, Abram is thinking a little bit differently, and that's why God first showed up. Fear not, but here it comes. Let's get to the core of the problem because Abram names it. And he comes off in a rather peevish, petulant manner. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Nice, huh? After everything that God has already done, what will you give me? If you could see it in the Hebrew, um, Abram actually talks about himself seven times over. Me, 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 me is how it comes across. All about me. But he is concerned, and it's a personal crisis, so maybe that's an acceptable way to express it. Well, what I like about Abram, he's honest. He just pours his heart out with God. He doesn't care if it's the Lord God or not. Here it is, and it all comes out. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? And here's the reason, the problem. For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. In other words, it's a slave. It's somebody who's um, related but not of his own flesh and blood. And Abram said, Behold. I wonder if he really said that. Do you suppose he really said that to God? Behold. I'm not sure, but I like it. I like that style. Behold. And I hear it with a little bit of irony to it. Behold, you have given me no offspring. And do you hear a little bit of blame in that? A little bit of accusation, a little poke? You, you, you have given me no offspring. What are you doing for me? What have you done for me lately? No offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. He's reminding God as if God needs reminding. Or maybe he's just rehearsing his own grievance here. But he's remembering the problem. I don't have an heir. No flesh and blood. Flesh of my blood, bone of my bones. Where is it? Where's the promise? If you haven't noticed, God, I was 75 years old when we left my land, my nation. I'm aging out. I have a shelf life, and there's an expiration date. If you haven't noticed, God, you may be eternal in the heavens, but I'm not. When are you going to do something? Where is it? And so it's a good question. How do you handle delay? What do you do when you start to get discouraged when the delay, the waiting has been long? Some of us have been praying for people and offering prayers for decades that we have not yet seen fulfilled yet. Am I right? We don't give up, but certainly we have not seen the results. We just hope. We hope against hope. We keep saying, but Lord, you said, you said, and we keep praying and leaning into the future that God has. And so after that, Abraham, he's registered his concern And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. There's that word that creeps in again. Behold. And I hear God saying, well, Abram, if you can use the word behold, so can I. Behold. So now God gets a final word back to Abraham, back to you, son. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. How do you like that? He refutes Abraham's version. Abram's version not good enough. Don't settle for less than God has promised and said he would do. And Abram was tempted to. He was beginning to break down his resolve weakening. God says, don't. What does God do? He just reiterates the promise. He doubles down on what he's always been saying, but he he defines it in more explicit terms, just in case there's any uncertainty. 
This man, Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son, your own flesh and blood, shall be your heir. He brought him outside then and said, Look, look up, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to count them, to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. What a promise. That's what God offers to Abram. Well, what's interesting to me is that God doesn't try to talk Abram out of his unbelief. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't try to argue with him or persuade him to have a different perspective. He just says, no, Abram, it's not what you say. It will indeed. This son shall be from your own loins, your own flesh and blood. And then he takes him outside and he does something. And he simply says, look, anybody walk outside and look at the stars last night? I could see the Milky Way, that band. And I don't know how many galaxies there are, but I love astronomy and I love looking at photographs that have been made through Hubble. And if you've ever seen any, they're just astonishing spiral galaxies in different shapes. And I have no idea how many galaxies there are, much, much less how many stars there may be. And to think that God has, we're told in Scripture, a name for each one. Are you kidding me? We can't even map them. And they're billions of years away, and the universe keeps expanding. And so what... God just draws Abraham outside and says, look up, can you, as if to say, can you count the stars? And I'm sure Abram's like, ah, no. I think what happened was that Abram was just overwhelmed. So the other day as I was getting ready, I said, Lord, what's that like? And I was up early before dawn, and so he gave me an illustration that the sun was about to come up, and it was, it was coming over, and uh, I was facing west. So I was watching the sun come up from the east over the ridge line and then over the tree line, and the sun came down, and suddenly it's just, well, it had been a little bit dim, that early uh, dawn where it's light but not sunny yet. But when the sun breaks over, suddenly everything changes, if you know what I mean. Maybe today you saw that happen as the sun breaks the horizon, and suddenly it's there in a way that it wasn't before. It's a sudden kind of epiphany, and I think that's what happened to Abram. He was just there looking, and suddenly, aha, he had one of those moments, and I call it the delta factor, a breakthrough. I'll say more about that in a moment. But it was a breakthrough moment for Abram. It was just all that happened was what happened to me. The sun came up, and suddenly the darkness was gone. Where did it go? I don't know. Where does darkness go? When you turn a light on, in a dark room, what happens to the darkness? It just vanishes. I don't know where it goes. There must be some scientific explanation. But it just disappears. It dissipates, and it's gone. And there's nothing but light. And I wonder if that's what happened to Abram. He's looking up and goes, I get it. If you can do all of this, God, I imagine you can keep your promise about a child. Previously, God had said, I'm your shield. I can protect you. I can defend you. But now God has upped the ante saying, I'm going to give you a child. I create. I created all of this, and I can certainly make a child for you. Behold, Abram. And then it goes further. God defines himself. God really steps up his game here. Listen. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abraham pushing back, Abram, I'm sorry, I get the names confused sometimes. But he pushed back and he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? 
Now, we were just told that Abraham, I think I didn't read that line, but he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, did the Lord, as righteousness. And so Abraham is in a position of belief, or is he? So now we're talking about land. I am the Lord who brought you out to give you this land to possess it. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You see, now we're moving from the realm of promise to something more. Abram's really pushing. How will I know that? Can you prove it to me, God? Can you show me? How can I really know that? In my heart of hearts, how can I know? How can I know that I know that I know? Well, once you've tasted chocolate, you know what it tastes like. But if you've never tasted chocolate, even if I describe it or read the ingredients or give you the chemical formula of a Hershey's bar, you don't really know chocolate, do you? But once you taste it, you know. So here's Abram asking for more. How shall I know? This was what God did. How shall I know? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old. In other words, in the prime of life, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, Abram did, and laid each half over against the other. So it's turning into a bloody mess, isn't it? Back to the turkeys. So he laid them in half except for the birds. He did not cut the birds in half, probably because or presumably because they were small, although there may be more to it than that. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And the story continues. As the sun was going down, as it was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Remember what happened to Adam? When God put him into a trance, when he was about ready to perform a surgical procedure and to bring forth Eve, well, this is the same word. So he puts him, I don't, what to, I don't know what to say, um, into a sleep of sorts, a trance. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Uh-oh, not sounding good here. Abram not seeing too much at this point, but great darkness. And then the Lord spoke to him. You don't always have to see, but you do have to listen. The Lord spoke and said to Abram, and he hears a voice, know for certain, now know this. How powerful is that? Know this. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. No wonder it's dark. It's going to be a dark period in the history of Israel. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, and now he brings it back to Abram, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. Abram must have been rubbing his ears at this point. Are you kidding me? And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down, it was setting, and now it's done, it's gone down completely. And if you know how they, they, they measured days from sunset to sunset, so we're moving from the end of one day into the beginning of another day. That's how they started their day at sunset. Now that the sun has gone down, so we've rolled over into the next day. Am I making sense here? Okay, so it's completely dark now. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, in case you wondered, just to make it really clear, behold, now something begins to happen. A fire gets kindled, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. God shows up. 
a flaming fire pot, a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch, and passes between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord God, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. And I think we could just stop there. God made a covenant. How far was God willing to go? All the way. Before this, it was a promise. I am your shield. Words, words, word. Promises, promises, promises. But now God has done something different. And the expression is literally cutting a covenant. They actually cut animals in half. And then what would happen was the covenant partners would walk between them to seal the deal. Now, God put Abram out because he wasn't asking Abram to do anything other than to observe and to receive. He's not passive, but almost. He is more than a spectator. He is a participant because God is making a covenant, but it's incredibly one-sided. God is making it. Talk about gracious. God is the one who ties himself to the future of Abram. And when you cut a covenant like this, what it means is, if I fail to keep up my end of the bargain, then cut me in half, cut me asunder, and let me go out of existence, let me die. That's what God is saying. God is willing to make a covenant with a human being? Are you kidding me? You see the power of this? How astonishing this really is? Talk about making covenants. This is serious business, but it's God making the covenant. And it's a covenant of grace and mercy. And God ties himself to his future with Abram. As Abram goes, so goes God. God's going to go with Abram from this point forward in a way that he hasn't. How can Abram know? Because God promises. He puts it all in the line. It's not just a promise anymore. It's a deal. It's as good. Let's shake on it. I mean it. How serious am I? Well, cut the carcasses in half. And I was also told, and I can't verify this. I've seen this. They used to walk like a figure eight, the sign of infinity, as they walked around the carcasses and came to the end and circled back a figure eight. I could see the sign of infinity there. Maybe that's just me. But there's no end to this covenant. There are no terms to it. It's the only one who has asked, who, um, I should say it this way, the only one who, uh, who commits himself to something is God. And he commits himself to the future of Abram. Abram is just like, wow, are you kidding me? How can I know? Because God put himself in the line. Now, we don't know, you and I, all that much about covenants. We have them. They're rare in our world. We make contracts all the time. Anybody ever buy a car, lease a vehicle, buy a house, and take a loan out? Well, then you've signed a contract, and you know that there are lots and lots of pages to those contracts, how long they are. Do you ever wonder why? Because they're only as good as the character of the people entering into the agreement. Because typically, I think they're based more on mutual suspicion and fear that, Tyler, you're not going to keep your end of the bargain, so I'm going to tell you page after page what's going to happen to you if you disappoint me and let me down and don't keep up your end of the bargain. This is what happens to you. And if you don't repay, we're going to come and repossess. And if you fail to do that, Guido's going to come visit you on a dark night. (laughs) And so that's what I think of contracts. I know it's more than that. But then there's another word. If contracts, if they are based on mutual suspicion or fear that you may not keep up your end of the bargain, there's something else called a covenant, which is based on mutual trust. You ever notice how short and sweet they are? I looked at your membership covenant. It's actually pretty detailed, but it could be short and sweet the way covenant vows are in marriage. Have you ever noticed how short they are? 
for better and uh, for better or worse, in sickness and health, in plenty and in want, as long as we sh- both shall live, or until we die. Until death do us separate. There it is. That's covenantal language. But it's based on something. It's based on trust. You're going to keep your word. I don't have to worry about you failing to keep your word. You said you were you would do this. You gave your word. You pledged your life to this, your life to this. And that's what God does with Abraham. He cuts a covenant and pledges his own life to Abram. Talk about a gracious act, an act of mercy. What deity would do this for me or for you? We're going to let God down. We can't keep up our end. That's why God has a stand-in for Abram, for Abram here, because he knows Abram can't keep up his end of the bargain, that human beings won't. God knows us, that we are fearful and uncertain. We don't know the future, but he can bring the future and make it happen. He can make it so in any way that he pleases. So he pledges on our behalf. He's saying, I've got this, Abram. You don't have to worry. From now till the end of time and then some, I've got this. Imagine a God being just that gracious to us. So this is the most extraordinary covenant we can possibly imagine. So I call it the Delta Factor. You know, years ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Walker Percy. He was a medical doctor, went on to become a literary figure. And he wrote about something he called the Delta Factor, and he defined it this way. He talked about the Delta Factor by um, using an example. If you might remember Helen Keller... And at age, uh, at 19 months, she became sick and lost her hearing and lost her sight. Years later, she had a teacher by the name of Annie Sullivan. So she had experienced some language before that, some hearing and seeing some things, but at a very early and tender age. So years later, Annie Sullivan, her teacher, was working with her. And Annie was pouring, she was trying to communicate with Helen, wondering if they could break through. And so she was pouring water over her hand and kept doing this and spelling out in her hand with sign language the symbol for water. And one day something happened that, call it magical moment if you want, but there was something wondrous that occurred, a breakthrough, and suddenly Helen got it and she could spell the word back to her teacher, Annie Sullivan. She could do it. Walker Percy calls that the Delta Factor. What was that moment of breakthrough for her when suddenly she could do it? And Walker Percy said there's a relationship between the water, the actual water, the word or symbol for water, and even the sound of water, the word, which is arbitrary. There's something going on here, but when it all converges and comes together, almost a miracle takes place. And there's sudden communication, realization, dawning awareness. I wonder if that's what happened to Abram. I don't know, but that's what I call it. Abram had that wonderful moment when he went outside and God said, look up. Look at the stars. Can you count them? No. God knows he can't. Well, I just see this little delta. So I asked the Lord, what what do you mean by this delta factor? And he said, well, think of it this way. Think of it as a keyhole. You ever try with one of the old skeleton keys, one of those doors where you can actually look through the hole all the way through? You can't see very much, but you can see something. You can see light on the other side. 
Well, I think God is the one who's on this side saying, look, I've got this. The future's on the other side. It's through that delta, that little keyhole. It's bigger than you know. On the other side is music, Helen. Sometimes I think we're like Helen Keller. We're deaf to what God wants to say. We can't see the way that God does, the beauty. We don't hear the music that God hears. But he's saying, as he did to Abram, look up, I've got this, I've got you. Just look through that little keyhole, that delta, the little that you see, there's so much more than you know. But if you can see that, hang on to that because I've got you. Abram, I am your shield and I commit my life to you. I call it a covenant of grace. All I can say to you today is that God's got you. Tyler, Meg, Ellen, Faye, Kath, Kara, others, Barry. Can you believe that? God's got you. No matter what comes in the future, no matter what enemies you face, your enemies are his enemies. Your friends are his friends. All I can say is God's got you. What are you afraid of? You want a powerful word? It's to be found here. God says, fear not. I make a covenant with you. And that covenant is perhaps best expressed finally in the person of Jesus. We've heard those words as we come to table. You ever notice when we gather at the Lord's table, those amazing words that Jesus spoke, the body of Christ broken for you, or my body broken for you, when he would take the bread and just imagine him tearing breaking the bread in half. He's just cut the carcass in half. He's cutting a covenant with us in his own flesh. He gives himself to us again. So when we're invited to come to the Lord's table, we come to experience covenant. God saying, I've got you. Whatever you're going through, your future, I've got it. All the way to the end. So the things that you fear, I've already been to the future. I've seen it. I can make your future better than you know. So don't settle for fear. Don't settle for less than God is willing and able to do. I've got you from now to then and then some.